This is Focal Point for Friday the 11th of September 2009. How to behave online, part one. Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira for this week's edition. Hello Chris, how are you? I'm okay, Gihan. How about yourself? Oh, I'm okay as well. I'm okay as well, and we're both still recovering from um, colds and flus and seriously going around. And I'm down in Bustleton at the moment, taking a bit of a strategic planning retreat um, down here for a few days, and the weather outside is awful. It's a perfect time for having a strategic planning retreat and being inside and thinking. Being indoors, very good. In this episode of Focal Point, um, we're going to cover how to behave online. And uh, we've got a number of things, and probably too many to cover in one episode, so we're going to straddle two consecutive episodes of Focal Point. It's kind of based on an article that you showed me, Chris, um, about new rules for behaving, particularly online. Yeah, that was uh, something that uh, Wired Magazine uh, put up in their most recent issue, and I feel that they're muscling in on our territory because Focal Point is all about uh, using the internet in your personal and professional life, and lo and behold, Wired have picked up that this is a great idea, and they've devoted an entire um, issue to what they've called how to behave, new rules for highly evolved humans. So how to behave in this new online um, internet age. Wired has about, I think, about 30 items in their list. And then we pick the ones that we think are slightly more controversial or at least worthy of discussion and maybe counterintuitive as well. Yeah, that, it, was, it was an interesting cross-section of ideas. Some of them uh, were congruent with our own ideas that we've put forward in the past in previous episodes, but there are those that we, that we disagree with, so we've picked up on those as well to, uh, to uh, highlight those ideas. And broadly, we've split them into two groups. So the first group is the miscellaneous group, as it turns out, and the second one, which we'll cover in two weeks' time, is about social networking tools, so using things like Facebook and Twitter, whereas this time we'll talk about some, some that don't fit into that category. I think this first one is one that you've uh, commented on mostly, so why don't you kick off with the texting in the company of others is okay. <laughs> Yeah, so this is one of my bugbears, Chris, is people sending, uh, using their mobile phone in general um, when you're out with them. Uh, so in a social situation, either phoning or taking calls or texting. And so what Wired says is that texting in the company of others is okay. Now, me, I don't like that. I ha- in fact, I hate it when people do that because I want their undivided attention and feels like they're not respecting me and the other people that we're with. But the, the, the Wired article has an interesting perspective on it, and they suggest that as a rule of thumb, they say, feel free to text while talking or dining with friends, but only if you're trying to include somebody who isn't there. So in other words, you're trying to be inclusive rather than giving the perception of, uh, of being ex- exclusive. Yeah, that's a, that's a good exception, isn't it? So you're including someone uh, by making use of technology, so bringing them into, into that social space as well. And, and by doing that, I think you'd almost have to tell everyone else, hey, I just wanted to, I want to text Chris and tell him what we're talking about. And in that case, I think people feel okay with that. People feel accepted and included rather than what usually happens where people might feel a bit offended by that. Unless, of course, you're the driver. <laughs> yes, that's right. And the, God, I've been listening to some interesting research about um, texting while driving and how many people are doing that, uh, let alone how bad it is. There's uh, an amazing amount of people who think that they can concentrate at the wheel while they're uh, sending a text message. Sorry, Gihan, I missed that. I was just texting a friend. <laughs> yes, well, um, so I like that rule. I like that rule about um, texting other people as long as you're including them. 
And you've made the good point that uh, if people follow that particular rule, that exception to what is considered a, a rude rule, that the number of people who were actually texting in the company of others would drop by 90% if they were only doing it in an inclusive way. Exactly, exactly. And I think that this goes now beyond texting. So now that people have iPhones and other mobile devices where they can do other things, where there is so much is based on geolocation now, so you can look for things that are happening close to where you are. Um, and so you can use your, people will be using their phone much more when they're out and it'll become much more acceptable to use your phone. And I think it's really valuable for us to create some rules and guidelines and some rules of etiquette around that. Okay, yep. Okay, well, the next uh, rule that we were going to focus on, the one that Wyatt introduced, was the idea that if you can't buy something online, be it a movie or something, or, or, uh, or a then feel free to uh, get off BitTorrent or one of the other peer-to-peer uh, -peer file sharing networks where essentially things are free uh, but not necessarily uh, sanctioned by the, the copyright holders. Yeah, and I feel strongly about this one, Chris, so maybe you should go first, otherwise I'll end up <laughs> ranting about it for the whole podcast. The idea that Wired put, puts forward is that um, if you can't uh, purchase it through standard standard online means, that you should be able to just get it for free off a peer-to-peer -peer network. But it's not an act of just saving a bit of money or avoiding paying for it in the first place. They're putting forward the idea that you're trying to make a point to the recording industry or to the movie industry that uh, that they're they're making a mistake and you're you're committing some kind of act of civil disobedience and. And, and as a consequence, to demonstrate that, you should uh, donate the money that you otherwise would have spent to some kind of charity. What do you think about that, Chris? What's your opinion? No, I, I, I disagree with that. I don't think uh, that you should... Um that you should be doing that. The, the, the music or, or the, the file that you're downloading has certain terms of use associated with it if it were a legal copy and, and that's the copyright holder's uh, prerogative. You might think that they're doing something that's counterproductive or stupid um, or objectionable but um, it's, it's difficult to make a, uh, an act of uh, civil disobedience um, and then say well now I've got this movie I'm going to watch it and have money for it. I think uh, the two are incompatible. Yeah, well, I agree with you. I don't think this is a harmful law, and I, I, I think that the recording industry and the music industry is they're stupid, they're outdated, they're trying to defend a, a business model that is indefensible in marketing terms, but as you say, they've got rights. They, they own the copyright on that, and they, they have the, the right to say what people can do with it, and just because you can get it free doesn't mean that you should, even as an act of protest. I think if you don't like the rules, don't buy their movies or their music. Uh, I think it's as simple as that. Now, that said, there are some other laws that, um, because it's so hard to police, the recording industry and the, the, the movie industry are trying to scare people. So they try to threaten people. Um, and there's some laws which we think are, are totally wrong. There's the DMCA and their three strikes laws that they're trying to pass in various places around the world. And we disagree with them. Um, however... Um, we, we definitely think those laws should be banned or taken off the books, but that doesn't give you the right to um, protest by illegally downloading or getting access to movies and music. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, here's another one that I, that I disagree with, and it's an, it's an interesting one because perhaps it applies more to the USA than it does to Australia, but the, the wide article says leave, leave your Wi-Fi open. In other words, if you've got wireless internet access, which I have, and I don't know whether you have, Chris, so do you have that at your home? Yep, I've got a Wi-Fi network at home, yep. but I, okay. do not leave, I, I don't leave it unprotected and open for anyone yeah. to use. 
yeah, they're saying leave it open. They're saying they, that you know the airwaves are free and people should get access to them. So the people who have who are paying for it should leave it open. Yeah, so that's sorry. That, that's their argument, isn't it? That it's an altruistic act, that you're sharing your broadband connection with others so that, you know, if you happen to be out in the neighbourhood, you can just book into anyone's open Wi-Fi access point and have uh, uh, free broadband access. Yeah, and again, there's, I think there's a moral issue and there's a legal issue or there's a terms of conditions issue. There's probably your ISP has something in those terms and conditions that says you're not allowed to do that uh, intentionally. I mean, lots of people do that unintentionally. Yes. But yeah, you're not allowed to do that intentionally. Only, only you are allowed to access your network or possibly you and other people in your home are allowed to access it. Um, but I just don't agree with the moral, moral issue either, Chris. I don't think it's it's right to say, okay, well, one person buys Wi-Fi access and then makes it available to their whole neighbourhood. Now, I know that's exaggerating because it, you don't give access to your whole neighbourhood, but you do give access to other people who might otherwise be customers, paying customers of that ISP. That's right, Gihan. So uh, that's generally going to be in your ISP's terms of use precisely because it's going to deprive them of other potential customers. The other argument made by the White article uh, that doesn't apply in Australia is that um, you're not paying by the packet. So they're saying that, well, you might as well make it free for others to use because it doesn't matter how much you use, it's the same. That's not the case in Australia, um, where we have the uncommon circumstance that we have quotas, so that uh, the more of your, um, the more that you download or upload, the more packets that you have, uh, the more it's going to cost you once you once you reach your quota. So it certainly doesn't apply in Australia. I think there's another issue to consider as well, Chris, uh, regarding this, and that is that you might be doing it uh, out of the goodness of your heart, but I think you are opening yourself up to potential problems. I mean, other people can be using your Wi-Fi network for doing illegal things or downloading child porn or uh, downloading music illegally, and it's your network that's being used and your network that can be tracked and you as the network owner who can be held responsible for that. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's the Wired article or somewhere else that I read recently that often um, when some illegal activity has taken place, the authorities generally find that it's happened, often find that it's happened through uh, an open access point. And there are even moves afoot in some countries to make that illegal. I think that's a, a stupid thing to try and make it illegal to leave, you, leave your access point open. It's a bit like saying it should be illegal to leave your car unlocked or your house unlocked. Um, but nevertheless, a lot of um, online crime is taking place through open access points. And so if you're doing that, you're, you're possibly going to be the first people, person that the police uh, investigate uh, when a crime's been committed. It's going to be traced back to you if, if your access point was used. And why it also makes the point that there's uh, more danger in leaving your PC or your um, whatever, your, your, your PC unprotected than there is in leaving your access point open. But... That, that argument doesn't really wash. It's a bit like saying if you've got uh, a seatbelt in your car and an airbag, well, you know, there's no point wearing your seatbelt because you've got an airbag. I think you should wear your seatbelt and, uh, and uh, make sure you've got airbags. Yeah, that's right, and that's not a justification for using it. That's just a point that they're making that um, it, you might be thinking there's a false sense of security. You really, you really need to protect your PC as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. So we disagree with that one. Absolutely. <laughs> The next one then was know what makes a, a good viral video, and this is a point that you've uh, you've um, 
commented on most gear. And so why don't you take that one? Sure, sure. This is one that uh, the Wired article was actually just a little frivolous little cartoon, I think it was, um, which just talked about what's, um, what's viral and what's not. Um, so that didn't make much of a point. But I think it does raise an important point that I've worked with a lot of people who want to create something that, that goes viral. So they, they're asking me, how do I write an ebook that's going to go viral or how do I create a viral video? And they really have no idea. They think they have some idea, but really they don't. And um, I make the point that something going viral is not something that you can plan for and create up front. It's something that happens when you create something that's popular enough that people pass it around. It's like saying I'm going to write a, a top 40 hit <laughs> You know, you just got to write the best that you can and then hope that it's popular enough for it to, to make it to the top 40. And I found a website that shows um, what it's supposed to be, or maybe was at the time, the top 25 viral videos at all, of all time. And we'll include a link to that in the podcast notes because it's worth having a look at them to see just what it was that people thought was worth passing around and uh, clicking back to on YouTube to see over and over again. So there were things like the, the Susan Boyle video where she appeared on Britain, Britain's Got Talent, this um, fairly unprepossessing, this uh, middle-aged woman who had a beautiful voice, and that went around the world in a few days. Um, and you could probably have guessed that something like that would have, but then there are other things there that you would just never have guessed would have been as popular as they were. Was Dancing Baby on there, Gihan? Actually, I don't think that one was, but there was one about some some little toddler who was uh, being bitten by his brother, and uh, he was just making silly comments like, Charlie bit me, and that was it. <laughs> and yet it was one of the most popular videos of, well, so far of all time. <laughs> Outrageous. <laughs> you, you look at one of those videos, and you'd say, and if you had to pick it out from a lineup, you wouldn't have said this is the one that would be most likely to go viral. You'd have picked something else. So I guess my point is that you just can't predict what's going to be viral or not. Um, as somebody who's creating something, just do the best you can and think from your viewers or listeners' point of view and think what, what might they find interesting. But even then, there's just no way you can pick it. Yeah. Okay. Well, the next point that uh, the White article had was uh, the idea that you should balance your media diet. And what they had was a kind of pyramid resembling the food pyramid. And at the apex of that was uh, a small amount of gaming, about one hour a day, followed by two hours of social networking, two and a half hours of news. And at the base of the pyramid was uh, three and a half hours of passive entertainment, like watching movies or listening to music. Now, I think the whole idea is pretty ridiculous that uh, you should have nine hours of digital media a, a day. I think it's going to be hard for most people to fit into their lifestyles anyway. And also the idea that you should, that you should prescribe uh, something like having three and a half hours of passive entertainment, sitting on a couch watching telly, um, as being more healthy supposedly than perhaps active entertainment like uh, social networking or gaming, I, I just don't even agree with, with that, uh, that little concept that they put forward in their pyramid either. So the idea that uh, your digital media consumption is a kind of one-size-fits-all that everyone should follow, uh, let alone trying to squeeze in nine hours of uh, digital media per day, is, uh, is just wrong. Um, I think different lifestyles are going to require or are going to accommodate different kinds of media diets, and it doesn't need to be one-size-fits-all. Yeah, my, my reading of the article, Chris, was that they were saying that the nine hours comes from um, some research that shows that the average American spends nine hours a day 
in front of a screen. You know, so they were not even saying that people had to try very hard to fit that in, that they were doing it already. And I just think that's incredible. That's amazing that you can find nine hours, assuming it's non-working hours, but nine hours for entertainment through, um, you know, through digital media. And, okay, that includes an hour of podcasting where you're not actually sitting in front of the screen, but you're listening to your iPod. But apart from that, to imagine that you can spend eight hours in front of a screen for entertainment is just ridiculous. So my advice would be don't spend nine hours a day in front of a screen. Maybe they surveyed the staff at Wired. Yes, that's right. Yeah, look, and I can understand that we're certainly moving to a culture where their people are um, moving more towards digital and online entertainment as opposed to physical entertainment or going out with friends. Um, and they're doing online networking rather than face-to-face networking. And I get that. I get that. But still, nine hours seems excessive. And as you say, trying to prescribe something um, as to how you shouldn't mix up that nine hours and what you should put in that mix is just ridiculous. I think we should let people choose. But I, my, my biggest point is still, you shouldn't be spending nine hours. Absolutely. All right. So the last one that we're going to cover in this week's podcast, Chris, is uh, one that kind of um, um, crosses the boundaries between what we said, like social media, and we're going to talk about social networking last time. This is kind of related to that as well, but it's, um, it's one that we're going to cover this time. It says, online conversations are not all about you. In other words, when you take part in conversations online, whether that's through Facebook or Twitter or participating in online forums, it shouldn't be about you. It shouldn't be about you big noting yourself. It should be about you actually contributing and participating. And I, I really like this one and I, and I agree with it. And that's particularly because I often tell clients that they should be participating more in online conversations. Because my clients are business people, there might be a tendency or temptation for them every time they participate in an online conversation to make sure that they subtly push something or promote something or make sure they include the link to their website. They shouldn't be about that. It should be about participating in a genuine, sincere conversation. And if, if you do really have a reason to refer people to your website, so be it. But the main thing is to contribute. The point that they're making is to avoid this self-aggrandizement in your online conversations. Although I think I think the author's being ironic when she says in the article, people will notice this kind of thing, like sneaky self-aggrandizement. Trust me, I saw way too much of this at Harvard. <laughs> uh, we've spoken about this in our own uh, um, in our own online forum in previous podcasts, and the point that we made then was that. As you say, we should make positive contributions. And uh, back in the old days of the internet, when we were using online uh, forums like Usenet, there was uh, often an encouragement to try and increase the signal-to-noise ratio. So whenever you make a contribution, try and uh, make as much of it signal rather than just me too or random noise or flaming someone unnecessarily. So uh, often that can mean saying nothing, just spending some time in the forum lurking, as they say, until you get a, a feel for the forum's vibe. And then when you've got a feel for uh, how to contribute positively, that's the time at which you can make your contribution. And I think the other thing that goes along with that, Chris, is that there's a tendency or temptation, again, for people to look at the Internet as a marketing tool um, or a self-promotion tool. And it can be. It can be very powerful. But we know that, like you and I, have been using the Internet for 20 more 20 plus years now. And when we were first started using it, it wasn't about that. It was about sharing and contributing and participating. And now we've come full circle to that time where, again, particularly in online 
forums like Facebook and Twitter and online forums, uh, community forums, people do expect you to participate and contribute. And a, a lot of marketers, a lot of business people don't get that. They still think that if you do that and you don't self-promote, that's a waste of time. And it's not. It's just it's just the way you live your life. And uh, this is the way that people used to live their life online. And it's the way that they need to live it again if they want to truly participate and be respected. Yeah, I think uh, you put it in another of our episodes that uh, you need to earn that right to be able to put a marketing message across. The first, you need to make those positive contributions and have something valuable that the people listening to you really do value. And then as a consequence of that, then perhaps you can, uh, you can make a market from that. Exactly right. Great. So we've covered the six things, Chris. Uh, the first six out of 13 that we're going to cover in this, uh, in this area of new rules for highly evolved humans, as, as Wired puts it. Um, and so next time when we come back, we'll cover the, the other seven. And the other seven are specifically around the conversation that we've just started, which is about how to behave yourself in online forums. So we'll talk about things like blogging and tweeting and who you choose as friends on Facebook and whether you should use LinkedIn or Facebook and a number of things which really do require new rules because they are new tools for many people and so it's useful to understand the etiquette around that. So we'll talk about that next time. Yep, speak to you then, Gihan. Hope we're both in uh, better states of health. I'm sure we will be. Thanks very much, Chris. Okay, bye. You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.gihanperera.com forward slash podcast. That's G-I-H-A-N P-E-R-E-R-A dot com. Subscribe to the podcast, listen to all our past issues, or leave us your comments and questions. We look forward to having you back next time.